invite you to turn with me, if you'd like, to the book of Matthew. We'll be walking through much of chapter 2 this morning. Today we celebrate Epiphany. Our new year is marked every year with Epiphany. It's the light of Christ going out into the nations. Now in Epiphany, we have the promise of death and resurrection. Life for the world in the light of Jesus Christ. And as that light of the star illuminated the way to infant Jesus centuries ago, so Jesus comes as the light, illuminating the way to God. And in a way, a new year offers hope and for new life, so the opening chapters in Matthew's gospel provide hope for us today. Imagery Matthew gives us is one of new creation, uh, a new people being formed to worship the true king, where we see nations streaming to the light, to kneel before the newborn king. Epiphany is a celebration of the light of Jesus Christ going out into the world. It's also an exhortation for us who follow him to be that very light. So in light of this truth and in light of this calling that Epiphany places on us, would you turn with me now and let's pray to the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, who is the light of the world. Would you lead us in his grace, his mercy, and his love? Would you transform us by your spirit and through your word that we might be a light unto the nations? We pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, an old year has passed away, and a new year is born. This time of year, there can be sorrow as another year has passed past. Maybe it's a sign we're getting older. Maybe we regret opportunities that have been missed. We reflect and see lacked uh, growth or change, goals that have been unmet. But there's also hope. There's resurrection hope in a new year. Sickness from last year might be past. There's days and weeks that lie before us and their potentialities. Hope abounds in the newness before us. For us, the 12 days of Christmas ended just yesterday, and we celebrate Epiphany. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ to the nations. In Jesus, the old will pass away, and the new will rise as the light of Christ shines throughout the nations. We're reading today a, a standard passage for Epiphany, so let's begin chapter 2 of Matthew, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Now, God's people have always been tasked to shine the light of God's glory in a sin-darkened world. We we'll hold fast to the promise that people throughout the world would stream to his light to bow and worship of Him, though in sin, to shine that light brightly, to shine that light consistently. If you're like me, it feels like the fighting the long defeat. It's challenging. But Christ has come. The light has entered in. We have the story of these wise men from old Babylon and Persia in that region there. They, that's where Daniel settled and where Esther lived. These wise men from that region would have been given scriptures from those long ago. And they would hold fast to these. They would read these scriptures and study them. And now they would see signs in the heavens announcing the birth 
of this king of the Jews. With even their rudimentary understanding of who this king of the Jews might be, they travel far to bend their knee before him. The scripture just says to worship him. That's why we've come to worship this king of the Jews. Now, we're reminded this new year that this is why we come to the light. We come to worship. It's not to manipulate life as we hope it would work out. It's not to eliminate pain or frustration. But it's to behold our king. To kneel in awe of him. To worship him. Though when Jesus comes, not everybody rejoices. Look at verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. See, the Roman empire had already been fractured into several pieces at this point. King Herod, like most kings, is quite territorial. And a rumor of a newborn king would be a threat. When Jesus shows up, people often feel threatened. We can feel threatened. When Jesus enters in, he threatens old patterns, sinful habits, rebellious ways. He threatens to change us. Humanity rests, resists so hard the command to bend knee to another, and yet we're continually searching for happiness, for belonging, for hope in life. Wise men hope for these things, and they search diligently, and they found in Micah's text a promise of a coming king. Look at verse 5. They told the king in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Who will shepherd my people, Israel. See, Israel's history is being retold here. It's being retold in this ruler from Bethlehem who will shepherd God's people. Matthew's pointing out to us this shepherd that Micah foretold long ago. It is this one born, and he's born in Bethlehem. The word Bethlehem, it means the house of Bread And this house of bread will give birth to the living bread. See, from Bethlehem's civic womb, long ago Ruth gave birth to Obed, who then fathered Jesse, who then would rear the mighty King David. And remember the promise that God had given to David that an offspring, a son, would sit on his throne forever and ever. The Magi here are hearing this, are reading this, are seeing this story unfolding. The, the heir is born. The heir to that throne is born in Bethlehem. So then commanded by King Herod and following the divine light of Christ's star, these priestly wise men, they seek out this newborn king, verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with, his, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So here's the picture of worship. What is worship? What are we about here every Sunday? What, why do we exist as a people of God, as a church? It is to Worship, and this is the image of what worship looks like. It's that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and the knee bends. See, these men have brought wealth of the nations to lay at the feet of this newborn king. It's like our tithes and offerings 
every week. See, we bring our very lives and our livelihood. Uh, we bring the labor of our hands, like the, the kings, the wise men would have done of old. We bring the heartbeat of our livelihood, and we give it all to the one from whom all blessings flow. This is the image before us today as we read this text about these wise men. And picture this as we bring our offering every Lord's Day, each Sunday, when we gather to express our gratitude and praise through the singing of doxology. We are laying before Him our very lives. Whether we feel it or not, this practice of coming to Jesus, it is to come to Him rejoicing exceedingly, with great joy. Look at verse 12. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Now do you see the backdrop to this story? A lot of dreams happening here. A lot of dreams. It's a, it's, it's the, the backdrop of the story is, is God-given dreams. There's a master architect un, unrolling his blueprint for salvation. It's, he's a divine painter putting brush to canvas. See, God's ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts than our thoughts. People are moved here by God-given dreams. I mean, who can move circumstance in such a way as this? The wise men could not foresee this, certainly. And this is not the first dreaming Joseph that we meet in Scripture, is it? See, Matthew does a good job of reminding us of people from of old. There was another Joseph in the Old Testament who dreamed a lot, right? And from, this, from that Joseph came salvation for God's people. And this is also not the first time that, that Jesus' dad Joseph has dreamed either. See, the salvation of God's people would come through that Joseph of old, but so salvation would come through this family of this Joseph at that time there. The, the Joseph of old was sold into slavery in Egypt. And so after this Joseph has dream, a couple of dreams, where would we expect this Joseph to go? To be sent. So Jesus inhabits the old story and going with Joseph down to Egypt, verse 14. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. Do you read these passages and wonder, what would I have done? I'm supposed to go to Egypt? If you remember what happened to the old Joseph, it didn't go very well. It was pretty rough. And now to flee King Herod... This Joseph is told to flee to Egypt. What would we do if we were walking in his sandals? As in the descendants of that Joseph endured centuries of slavery. But the final word of that story, okay, because we got the old Joseph in mind here. The, what's the final word of that story? Do you remember it? It said the last words almost of Joseph are, As for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept Alive, And that's the backdrop for this Joseph and this Mary as they descend to Egypt. So Joseph flees with Mary and Jesus to Egypt. It's a costly obedience. It must have been. And this movement to Egypt, it's a fulfillment of God's word, of his holy scriptures, which Hosea told long ago, out of Egypt I will call, or I called my son. 
God calls his son. First it was Israel. He called his son Israel out of Egypt to the land of freedom. But now we've got the true Israel, Jesus Christ, who goes down to Egypt so that this can be fulfilled. God is calling once again his son, the true son, from Egypt. Matthew is showing us that God is unfolding his story of redemption in space and time through his own son, who is Jesus Christ. He is unfolding his story of redemption, which means that even the most heinous and most grievous events in history, even they must be under his sovereign rule. Look at verses 16 and following. Then Herod when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, a voice heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. There was no answer for Rachel's sorrow. And I have no answers for those families in Bethlehem and in that region who would taste the bitter, unforgivable slaughter of innocent children. None can fix or undo such a heinous crime, and none can explain to them God's seeming absence or the silence of God in the face of such atrocities. And so we quote this passage from the Bible, which says, reminds us that Rachel, she died giving birth while in Bethlehem ages ago. And she was buried unconsoled, no comfort. And yet this, we believe, is from God's hand as well. If we've been paying attention to how Matthew was telling this story, all of this must come from the hand of a sovereign God. And though we have vastly different circumstances, we have known or will know at times, at seasons, the inconsolation shared by Rachel, shared by those in Bethlehem, a lack of comfort. And yet we bow to this king in our sorrow, trusting still that our God is sovereign, that our God is good. See, the nations will continue to rage. The peoples will plot against the Lord, against his anointed and against the anointed's subjects. So our lives are riddled with sin. We're oppressed by enemies of our triune God. Our hope and share and comfort strengthens us through trust and service to this king who was born in Bethlehem because he is the man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief, and he is the light of the world. Verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Jesus is inhabiting the story of Israel once again. There's another dream for our dreamer Joseph, another step of obedience for our dreamer Joseph. The pattern for the source of salvation is once again God at work, man responding in God's grace. God warned in a dream, had protected his son and family, sustained them in Egypt, freed them to inhabit the promised land. Does that story sound familiar? In that Israel's story throughout the Old Testament, Israel's story is being retold in the life of Jesus Christ. It's a people blessed by God 
a son who would be betrayed by those he came to save, by those he could rightly rule over. That son was sent to Egypt, the land of death and slavery, where a Joseph would dream and his dreams would reveal God's salvation. God's son, Israel, would grow in stature and favor, even though they were oppressed in Egypt until God freed them to enter the promised land. A new exodus is unfolding as the story and life of Jesus Christ unfolds in time and space. In Christ, his people, we are set free. But the land that Jesus entered into, however, it was not a place of rest. The promised land had become a place of slavery. It had become a new Egypt. And that's exactly the place where Jesus comes. The place where Jesus descends and enters into. See, Joseph's story, Israel's story, they find their fullness in Jesus Christ, who without sin becomes sin for us, that we might become his righteousness and his story become our story. This is what Matthew was trying to show us in the way he unpacks chapters 1 and 2 of his gospel. The life of Jesus is the fulfillment of the life of Israel. And our lives hidden in him, our lives find their fulfillment in Jesus as well. His story becomes our story. In fact, humanity's story, all of creation's story finds its yes and its amen in Jesus Christ. And this is the light that goes out into the world. This is epiphany, the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ. As the star shone brightly that Christmas morn, so we are to shine that light in a world of darkness. The story of salvation in God's Son, Jesus. And that light goes out to the nations in this gospel. It is the story of Jesus come in the flesh to redeem his people and to reconcile the world to God. We who follow Jesus seek to inhabit that story. And we gather every week to share disciplines daily that we would have that story inhabit us. Our hope is to inhabit that story, and as we gather, to have that story inhabit us. So, of course, as the new year rolls around, we consider goals for 2024, and a question for us to consider might be, what patterns will help me inhabit the story of Jesus? Or what habits will instill the life of Jesus in me? How will I give myself to the community of Christians in which God has placed me? my church family, my community, amongst my family and friends? How will I build up, encourage, strengthen Christ's body here in my own community? What about disciplines? Which should we invest in? We can't give ourselves to all the habits every day of seeking Christ, but which will we exercise over the next weeks, days, months here? Scripture reading and meditation, it's a good time of year to start that. Maybe it's working on memory, it's journaling, maybe there's seasons of fasting, learning to pray. Which tools in the garden shed of divine disciplines will we take hold of throughout these next weeks and months? Epiphany is a celebration of the light of Jesus going out, but it's also an exhortation to be that light. Each week as we gather, we're propelled from our gatherings throughout these weeks of Epiphany, we're propelled by the light of Christ going out into the world. And the great comfort for us in the midst of our failures and our flaws is it comes from this, that the light of God in Jesus Christ will go out. 
that the light will saturate the nations, regardless of our failed efforts and our fickle response. His kingdom will come, and his will be done. And as you look at the story, I mean, what is the energy? What is the, the strength that, the, of, of shining light throughout the darkness of a dark, sin-filled world? Well, the wise men show us here. Why do they come? And why do they bend their knee? It's because they have an awe of this ruler. They come beholding this star, but why do they follow so far? Because they are in awe of who this king is and all that he represents and all that he does and all that he promises to be and to do. It is awe. It is wonder that draws them to this King of kings and this Lord of lords. The lives of those men were built up, were rooted in God's word for years before they had made this journey. Their desire to order their loves rightly compelled them to humble obedience, and their costly obedience sent them on a journey to seek and to worship the king, to bend their knee in awe of this newborn king. Remember Mary singing her Magnificat? She sings in awe of what God has promised, what he will do in his son, given through her. Joseph remained faithful and humbly obedient in awe of God's work in and through such a humble servant. See, we have been given the light of the world in the face of Jesus Christ. And when the busyness and distractedness of life, we often lose sight of that, but take heart, the light of Christ still shines. His forgiveness saturates our sin-darkened hearts. His compassion encompasses our frustrated and disappointed circumstances. His love holds us fast in sickness and in health, in plenty and in want. Washed in the waters of baptism, fed at his holy table, we are captivated by the light of Jesus Christ, to which we come to worship, rejoicing with exceedingly great joy. So come, let us worship our King. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have given us the light of the world in your Son, Jesus Christ. Would you conform us to his image, grant us sight of him, that we might stand and kneel in awe of him. As you conform us to the image of your dear Son, help us to courageously be the light of the world, to shine the light of the world for all to see, that they too might stand in awe and bow in worship. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.